always been really to find that human connection piece first. And this can be with anyone, someone that we know is an ideal prospect or just someone you're sitting next to on a plane or waiting in line at yeah. Starbucks. So if we can prioritize that human connection piece and essentially being social and interested in others, then the business side of it and the sales side of it just becomes more seamless, more organic. It starts us off on a solid footing. And if we can really prioritize the relationship, the sales follows. Welcome to the Making Sales Social Podcast, featuring the top voices in sales, marketing, and business. Join Bryn Tillman and me, Bob Woods, as we each bring you the best tips and strategies our guests are teaching their clients so you can leverage them for your own virtual and social selling. Enjoy the show. Sales coach, author, speaker, and podcast host, Sarah Murray, joins us today in the Social Sales Link virtual studios for this episode of Making Sales Social. So Sarah is a true multi-hyphenate. Besides everything I just mentioned, she's also an advisor and consultant. She works with sales teams and sales leaders to unlock the untapped potential in their prospecting and business development efforts. Now, she focuses on the hospitality, construction, real estate, design, and technology industries and empowers professionals via virtual and in-person workshops. Welcome back to in-person workshops, everyone, to enhance their communication skills, approach prospecting creatively, and effectively affect business needs rather than just simply push products. Amen to that. Sarah is also a fellow podcaster with Prospecting on Purpose, which provides a platform for discussions on prospecting, sales, business strategies, and mindset. Pretty much like what we do here in Making Sales Social, which is why I'm very happy to welcome Sarah to our show today. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm excellent, Bob. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Really looking forward to this uh looking forward to this conversation and episode. So our first traditional question we toss at anyone and everyone who's willing to answer it, especially when they're on the podcast, is what does making sales social mean to you? Well, I love this question. And I think that this is why we get along, Bob, is I think we have similar mindsets and thought processes when it comes to sales. And my approach sure. to sales has always been really to find that human connection piece first. And this can be with anyone, someone that we know is an ideal prospect or just someone you're sitting next to on a plane or waiting in line at yeah. Starbucks. So if we can prioritize that human connection piece and essentially being social and interested in others, then the business side of it and the sales side of it just becomes more seamless, more organic. It starts us off on a solid footing. And if we can really prioritize the relationship, the sales follow. So making sales social, that's what that really means to me. And it's it's my approach. It's been the key to my success. And so I, I'm grateful that you asked that question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, uh, you know, goodness knows I've, I've dealt with, you know, some salespeople in, in the past where you can tell it's just a transaction and they just, it just doesn't matter to them who you are or anything like that. And while obviously I do think that there are certain lines that shouldn't be crossed when it comes to, um, you know, making sales social, uh, but you know, there is a lot that can be developed there. I agree. And I think there still is a transaction piece to it, but instead of transacting buy my product, you know, I don't care about anything else unless you buy my product. It's, Hey, how can I put deposits in your 
emotional bank account? How can I establish relationship equity? And so it's transactional, but it's coming from a place of sincerity, authenticity, genuine, like it has to be coming from a, from a selfless place in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's, that's, that's an excellent way to put that. I I'm, I love that. Couldn't have said it better myself, especially because I don't think I would have said it myself quite like that. So very good. Very good. So, um, prospecting on purpose, the title of your podcast. I love that phrase, uh, especially because in my little slightly devious mind, I always go to opposites. So I think, well, you know, it's better than prospecting by mistake. But as I was typing that sentence, uh, it's, it's interesting because I started thinking to myself, well, you know, if people aren't prospecting on purpose, they might actually be prospecting by mistake, right? Absolutely. And I think it's a very common thing that we see is you're doing the actions, but it's really just spinning your wheels in a lot of ways. It's like you're doing the activities that you think you should be doing instead of going into every type of interaction with your end destination in mind. So prospecting on purpose could also be, you know, selling with intention or selling with um selling with intention, selling with a plan. And so I, when I look at prospecting, I think of how can we go into any type of activity with our end goal in mind? So a networking event, for example, you're going to prospect at a networking event, have some goals ahead of time of what you want to get out of that event, because that's going to maximize any type of effort you do is having, what is your intention? Why are you doing whatever XYZ activity you're doing? And what do you need to do to get to the next step in the sales process or the next step in the relationship? What do you want to get out of whatever business activities you're doing? And one of my biggest pet peeves is the example of like a lunch and learn pre-pandemic. You do lunch and learn presentations to your clients or your prospects to get them to understand your product. If you go into that, you might spend 600 bucks on lunch and leave without a project, without contacts, without business cards. So I, that's kind of, this was years ago where I started thinking, how can we go into any type of interaction with what do we need to get out of the next step? And I think what I see sales professionals do is, they get into this merry-go-round of, okay, someone's asking me a question. I know the answer. And you think you're doing a great job, but you're not pushing the exchange forward. And so that's a big part of what I teach. That's a big part of what's contributed to my success is having a plan, knowing what you're doing, and then using the skills required to get it to the next level. So I guess, how does one get it to the next level? I mean, what, and obviously there are so many different situations. It's probably impossible to, to like, just say just one Thing, but I mean, I guess what is kind of the the mindset going into that about getting to the next level, and how does someone actually get that into their mind? Sure, I mean, I think one of the and this is kind of an overview of staying in the driver's seat in the sales process, like staying in mm -hmm. control, and that's part of the that intentionality there. But if I look at and any any sales professional listening, think about the different stages of your sales cycle which decision makers need to be involved? What is the flow of how projects or opportunities cross your desk? Who do you need to get to to get buy-in from all the different decision makers? And then if you can kind of almost chart that out, in my workshops, we make a map of the process mm. and, and I literally will map it out and say, okay, I have an opportunity, a lead crosses my desk. What's the, who's the customer in front of me? So I used to sell a hospitality technology product. So I would get a hotel project and it might be from a lighting designer. Okay, well, I know this is the person I have in front of me, but I need to get to the owner. So what questions can I ask? What sales assets can I use? What storytelling can I weave in to trigger that 
person, that B2B contact I have to get me on a meeting with their decision maker. And so you start to craft, okay, once I have a meeting with the owner of the hotel, what things am I asking him about? What are the different assets he needs? What, what questions can I ping to show that I'm a valuable consultative person? And then we go to the next stage and the next stage until we have a purchase order in hand and we deploy the hotel. So kind of mapping it out and understand where is the next step is going to help you go into any type of thing, a lunch meeting, a networking event, a sales meeting. You're going to have an end goal in mind. And then when your client tries to take you off course by asking you questions or talking about product, you can just yeah, answer it, but steer them back to your destination. And I think that's the biggest piece that people miss is the prep ahead of time, figuring out what the end goal is to keep moving the ball forward. Yeah, that's, yeah. And I was going to ask about the whole getting off track thing too, because that's, that's so easy to do during, I mean, I was going to say a sales meeting, but honestly, during any type of interaction, if you think about even, even going back to like a networking event, I mean, I've been to networking events where I'm talking about business and then five minutes later, I'm talking about, um, you know, my dogs and they have dogs and everything else. And it's like, what do you do at that point? I mean, you try to get it back on track, but it's like, it just goes off in a totally different direction. Well, and sometimes embracing the dogs helps because then it gives you that connection piece. So when you reach out for a follow-up, hey, how's your dog buddy doing? Like, let's let's do a walk together one day. You know, you can find other yeah. ways to build those types of relationship foundation. And I, I call it putting deposits in the emotional bank account. You have all these opportunities to add value and put deposits in. But when it comes time for work, it's so natural to say, hey, while you're on your walks with your dog, like, hey, who should I talk to at so-and-so? Can you do that introduction? Like, it makes it a lot easier to ask for things because you're contributing those relationship points. Yeah, and and and, and that definitely drives things forward in, uh, in, in a way that I don't think a lot of people even even think about necessarily. But I mean, yeah, because because you're definitely getting more more personal there yet. It still is appropriate and everything. And yeah, that's just that's that's great. That's great stuff. So in your experience, um, what are the key differences between the most and least successful salespeople and how can managers foster what you call a bucket one mentality in their teams? And then you have this method of categorizing via buckets too. So, so I definitely think that that would be helpful to go into. Sure. Yeah. I think that probably a lot of people will relate to this when I say it, but when you're working with people, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's yourself, you know, I always would group people in one of two buckets. So bucket one, people are like the rock stars. They answer their phone. They're on top of it. They're in the driver's seat. They're easy to get a hold of. Their customers, no one like them. And then you have your bucket two people that you have to chase. They don't answer their phone. They take yeah. a long time to get back to you. I mean, I even, I even would put a bucket two person as someone who defaults to a no before they default to a yes. You know, the bu the bucket ones are going to say yes first, or at least, I don't know, but we can figure it out. You know, like the path forward as a team versus that's not my job. You know, the, you, we all know the bucket ones and the bucket twos, but there's right. kind of this like hidden bucket. I call it bucket one and a half where we think we're in bucket one, but we might be closer to bucket two. And a lot of the ways that you can start differentiating yourself and putting yourself in that rock star bucket I think one of the most important things that we can do as sales professionals is to always ask questions and then listen to the answer. And I think that that is the biggest piece that will put us in the bucket one. And the questions can be, let's go back to a lunch and learn example. 
all right, you set up this lunch, you got 10 people in the room, you've got your presentation that you do. How often are we going around and making everyone introduce themselves? What is your role at the company? Just start asking questions. Hey, before I get into this presentation, would you mind explaining a little bit about your business model so that I can better cater my comments to your needs? Like asking questions, the right questions, and then being very active and present and listening that's what makes the rock star salespeople because they can start to peel apart. They cater their presentation to the needs. They can listen for opportunities of other, you know, tangential opportunities, other departments we could talk to, other people we can ask for introductions for. So I think the biggest thing is the ability to ask questions and listen to the answer and make sure that it's coming from a place of confidence and not ego and arrogance. And that's really where I think the rock stars start to really shine and, and lead the pack. Yeah, so that's interesting because I had a quick follow-up uh, pop in mind, but you might have answered it already. I'm just wondering for for those people who suspect that they're in bucket two and they want to skip that one and a half and go straight to one, um, this isn't a question more about how to do it because I I think we kind of know how to do it after after that answer, but how difficult is it and what kind of roadblocks might they face in going from, from two to one? I think one of the biggest roadblocks is ourselves. <laughs> we get in our mm -hmm. own ways. And I think one of the biggest advantages, if you fear that you're in bucket two and you want to get to bucket one, I think taking some time to really sit with yourself and reflect on yourself and maybe prioritize some of the more personal development pieces that you can do. Mm -hmm. Because I think that where confidence comes from is in liking ourselves and continuing to learn and improve upon ourselves. And I'm just going to guess, Bob, I don't think that a lot of bucket two people are listening to your podcast. I think naturally the people that listen to this podcast or try to improve themselves in their sales efforts, they're automatically either in bucket one already or closer to bucket one. But I think if you have maybe a team member who's not, find ways to open their minds because usually the bucket two people don't realize they're in bucket two. So find ways to weave in personal development, professional development, uh, maybe demonstrate it as a leader yourself and be a little bit humble and maybe a little more vulnerable and sharing how you work on your own personal and professional development. But I think giving people that permission is one of the biggest shifts to get you to stay in that bucket one category. Yeah, that's great. And then another thing you can do is 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 refer them to this uh, podcast and specifically this episode because uh, because honestly that was a really great explanation. And I think that um, bucket two people who, like you said, are probably not listening could could definitely could definitely benefit from hearing. So we talked a little bit about confidence already and about how all of this does build confidence. And I think that that's fairly obvious. Um, Let's apply that specifically to prospecting and biz dev now. So, 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 how can individuals increase their their confidence specifically channeling towards towards that area? Perfect. Yes, I would love to talk about this. It's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Good. It really is. I feel like one of my <laughs> biggest strengths in my sales success is the ability to get to the decision maker. I feel confident that I could get to anyone. I know that that sounds dramatic, but I've done it enough times that I, I have the proof points to do it. And one of the things that I think I learned at an early age, fortunately, um, I, I joke, my mom worked for Delta Airlines. And so we would travel a lot as a family mm. and we never 
sat together. Because if you're familiar with airline employees, you get to travel for yeah. free, but you we never sat together as a family. So if, as a little kid, I'm always sitting next to grownups and I was bold and I'd say, hey, are you going to eat your chips? And usually, <laughs> I mean, this is back when the airplane served food. Right, but half yeah. the time, they were like so surprised that they would give me their chips. And the other half the time, they wouldn't. And it didn't matter because it was just an icebreaker to start a conversation. And so I think really early on, I learned that nothing bad happens to you if you ask people. And I think what we do, especially when we're prospecting for business, we're trying to get to high level decision makers, we or we're trying to navigate our own organization and get in with the right executives. We put people up here on this pedestal and we're all down yeah. below and we're trying to jump up on the pedestal. And really what we need to do is not take that person off of the pedestal, but we put ourselves on it with them. And right. I call this bridging the gap. So the gap we're bridging is us on the ground versus our prospect on the pedestal. And GAP is an acronym. It stands for genuine connection. That's step one. Authentic mm -hmm. relationship building, which is step two, which yeah. leads to prized relationships and then in turn prized clients. And you, I think what a lot of people do, especially our bucket two folks, is they try to jump up on the pedestal, but they skip the steps. And so you're never oh. going to get up on the pedestal if you don't take the time to build the relationship. And so that's a big part of what I teach and and we can get into each of those steps if that'd be helpful. Yeah, definitely. Uh, especially because I one thing that that I thought of is 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 for the people who who kind of jump the steps and try to go automatically up to that. I mean, I think it's probably a little soul crushing from for them as well, just because, you know, they think that they're at that level, but when they're told they're not by rejection or whatever, that brings them down. And then to the person who is who is being talked to, it might actually seem a little arrogant if the if the person tries to put themselves up like immediately with with skip with skipping those steps. A hundred percent. And I think that everyone does it. Not everyone. I take that back. <laughs> but I think it's something that we do because you okay, you go into your networking event, you want to meet this person, but you like, you get FaceTime with them, and then you go right to your pitch. It's like that's not how this works. You have to bridge the gap first. Put yourself on the pedestal with them, and then you can start to ask for business. Then you can start to ask for introduction. So I think it's very clear who's just trying to skip the steps and who's actually authentically putting themselves on the pedestal with their prospect. Let's talk about those steps now with uh, with the GA and, and P. Why don't you go through that? So G stands for genuine connection. And I kind of have like three pieces within this step here. The first is listening has to be your number one priority. So think about when you meet someone at a networking event. We keep using that example, so we'll go with it. You meet yep. someone at a networking event. Hi, my name's Sarah. Hi, Bob. Nice to meet you. You know, so often, instead of just listening and being present in that first introduction, we are either thinking about our introduction ahead of time, Oh, yeah. Or we're vetting them in our head. Okay, Bob runs this podcast. Is he someone who's appropriate for me to meet? Can he give me business? We're we're categorizing people in our heads. And we're if we just take the time to listen and be present in that interaction, that's where so many doors open because it's gives you that confidence. You're confident in the fact that you can be present in a conversation that naturally yep. shows through. But that's where you can start remembering names more efficiently, you know, using people's names. That's the most magical piece in the world that helps establish connection. 
if you're not listening to their name, it really hurts that opportunity to make a quick connection piece. So listening, remembering names. And then my favorite part about this kind of first tier here, I like to use icebreakers. And I think when people hear the term icebreaker, they think like cringy team building games. But really like if you're in line at Starbucks and you ask someone, hey, are you waiting in line? That's an icebreaker. So it's just Mm. a way to open a door to a conversation. And so once you get that quick, easy open, Mm -hmm. that's when you can go on to the next piece. Or you could just ask them for chips. Exactly. That's an icebreaker. (laughs) It's an icebreaker. Uh, But like nothing bad happens. And and usually I I actually categorize my icebreakers into mild, medium, and spicy. So mild (laughs) might be like... You know, mild might be like, wow, like what weather we're having. That's a, just a mild icebreaker or where mm-hmm. are you originally from? Just more basic stuff. Um, medium icebreakers, I would say are a little bit more personal. Like, Hey, how did you meet your spouse? Do you have any kids? Do you have mm-hmm. any vacations coming up? Like just easy little connection points. Yep. And then yep. this is kind of weird, but my spicy icebreakers, I like to use sometimes because they make you really memorable and usually people are tired of talking about work and business. Sometimes it's fun to just um, mix it up. So yeah. uh, one of my spicy icebreakers that I like to use is um, who are three fictional characters who make up your personality or who was your childhood celebrity crush or just little silly things. And I know that you're probably listening and you're thinking, why on earth would I ever bring that up in a conversation? But what you can do is you can use something like this podcast episode as a buffer. So you get to the networking event. Hey, I was listening to this podcast on the drive-in and the host was asking me, you know, what is the best bird? And it it was so random, but it kind of got me thinking. I really like hummingbirds. You know, it's kind of silly, but if you can use a buffer to introduce yeah. the spicy icebreaker, it's just, it's just a fun way to connect and be memorable and mix it up from the daily monotony of just work. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. So that's, that's kind of then we trigger into the next step, which is authentic relationship building. And I have kind of two pieces within this step. Um, the first piece I like to call just be cool. <laughs> and I know that sounds kind of <laughs> silly. Like when you think yeah. of cool, it's, it's not your fashionable. It's not how many LinkedIn followers you have. Like being cool is really just being someone who leaves the other person feeling energized versus drained. That's a pretty bucket one, bucket two differentiator too. Right. Because when you're when you get to that networking event, you can absolutely connect over an icebreaker that's negative. You could say, oh, my God, mm-hmm. the traffic was such a pain in the butt to get here today. It's like, yeah, that yeah. does establish connection, but that's a drag. Nobody wants to work with that. So find mm-hmm. a way to stay positive and be energized, energizing or at least neutral, because nobody wants to work with someone who's draining their energy. Yeah, that's a good point. So be cool, staying positive. And then this is kind of, I think the, the Holy grail here is, you know, Stephen Covey coined the term, the emotional bank account. And if you're not sure what that is, it's basically a series of deposits and withdrawals in someone's emotional bank account. So Mm -hmm. just like I said, you could have positive and negative connection points. You can have positive and negative bank account deposits and right. ways that I, I like to phrase this as an acronym called ABAV, and it that stands for always be adding value. So anytime you go into a conversation with anyone, you're thinking, how can I add value to the other person? And, even, and I think that's one of the biggest ways to get yourself up on the pedestal is find ways to add value, even if you think you 
don't have anything, you do. And it doesn't have to cost that much money. And so the emotional bank account, I used to sell to architects and I live in Los Angeles, the largest architecture firm in the world. The largest office in the world is in LA. So you can imagine every manufacturer, every rep, every vendor is trying to get into this firm. And I met the librarian. She's kind of the gatekeeper. She told me about a book. I read the book. I liked it. So next time I'm going into a meeting in the office, I had thank you cards in my car. I jotted down some books for my Kindle app. I was running by her desk and I said, hey, I forgot to tell you, I read this book. I loved it. Here's a couple more I think you would like. She opens it up. She says, oh my gosh, I have book club tonight. We are supposed to bring recommendations. You just saved me. That one like 30 second piece has made Mm -hmm. my employers millions and millions of dollars from that one 30 second piece of effort. It cost me no money, but I'm adding value every chance I get. And then when it comes time to ask for the favor, it's a lot easier because you're pulling from a full bank account basically. Yep. And then one of the like holiest grails of them all really, when it comes to the emotional bank account deposits is what can you do to help that person in their business? And that's the biggest piece of equity you can do with your clients. And so try to think about their business model. Think about what they need to be successful. It doesn't have to cost money. Um, For example, you know, Bob, I'm going to leave you a review on your podcast because that's going to be a bank account deposit for you. And it doesn't have to cost money. So find different ways to build up the people that you want in your network because when it comes time to ask, it's so much easier to ask because you have a full bank account to ask from. It would be weird mm-hmm. if you didn't ask, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's all excellent. Let's get to P now. Yeah. So once you're there, that's basically once you're on the pedestal, once the bank account's full, yep. right? You've done all these things. Now it's time that you can ask for things. So we pivot from relationship building activities to business development activities. So once you're on the pedestal, you can ask for an introduction. You can ask for a meeting. You can ask for, hey, can you include your boss on the next call? I'd love to make sure that they're looped in to what we're doing. Um, When you're on the call with that person's boss, your sales champion at your client's level, you can say, hey, Mike's doing such a great job for us. You should be so proud. Then you're building equity in Mike's bank account. So making sure that you're always adding value. But once you're on that pedestal, then you can start to ask for business. And then it becomes a feedback loop because that right. person's going to ask you for things like that's really how we get repeat business, snowball sales, and that priced relationship. But the relationship has to be prioritized. It can't just be KPIs, metrics, skipping the steps and trying to get to the pedestal because you're going to fail or it's not going to yeah. be as organic or impactful as it could have been. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it is that human connection that, you know, while KPIs and all that stuff are important human connection has got to be on top of that, which actually gets me to my next question, because um, once upon a time, it was a lot easier to do that because, you know, we had a lot of person to person, you know, sometimes in phone and stuff like that. Nowadays, not only do we have digital and we've been dealing with digital for a little while now, especially during and now after the pandemic, everybody's shifting to that. I'm also thinking about about AI and about how people are, are thinking, you know, is is that going to take away the human connection by using these tools and things like that? I personally don't think that that's the case, but there's but there's a lot of of conversation about that in the sales world and in the business world in general. So what can we do to 
to to either use those or kind of allay those fears and and continue to build those human connections and genuine relationships. Yeah, I think one of the biggest pieces is to keep in mind the ABAV always be adding value because I think if you approach you're prospecting from a place of like service. How can I add value? Continue to add value. That's going to differentiate you from other people trying to build those relationships too. So if you have a competitor sales professional using AI to send LinkedIn messages or use AI yeah. to send automated email cadences, that's okay. However, you're going to be able to differentiate yourself if you think of how can I add value? And one of my clients um, recently shared this with me. They were going to a trade show and, you know, everyone's sending out the emails, visit our booth, stop by the booth, schedule an appointment. Da, 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 sure. da. Yep. And he's like, I heard your voice in my head, Sarah. And I thought, what can we do different? And so he, the trade show was near Niagara Falls. So he made a one page PDF of things to do in New York City, or excuse me, not New York City, things to do in New York, near Niagara Falls. He organized a bus if anyone wanted, anyone in the show wanted to join them on their excursion to Niagara Falls. He put restaurants to visit, things you can't miss, and he sent that out instead. And he said, so many people will stop by the booth. He was Mr. Popular. The event planner came and thanked him. And that is coming from a place of service. He's not, of yeah. course, we want people to come by the booth, but how can you be more creative in your approach? And I think if we just keep finding the ways to come from a place of adding value, that's going to shine through, even if we're using the AI tools or not, that's going to shine through. And that's where the human element is going to overtake all of the automation, all the competition. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. Um, yeah, that's a great idea too. I mean, if, uh, you know, I think it's just, it, it's going to come down to being creative and, and having your voice come through. And it sounds like in, in this case, they were creative and, and their voice did come through because, because their voice came through, I think just in terms of service, because I'm betting that this company values service tremendously and, it's just another way for them to do that, essentially. Agreed. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So let's take a step back a little bit and um, let's talk a little bit about fear. Because even when you're in that building process, for, for some people, it is going to be fearful to do so. So how do we overcome that fear, especially when it comes to potential clients, contacts, even walking into that um First networking meeting, you might not have been doing it for a while, or it's your first networking meeting ever, or you just hate it because you're afraid of it. You know, like that type of thing. A hundred percent. I'm so happy you asked this, Bob, because when we're talking about our pedestal and we're talking about us on the ground and we're trying to get on mm -hmm. the pedestal, we need to lay a foundation. And that foundation is confidence and mindset. And the way that I teach that that piece of it, it it's almost like your, your own personal brand or what is your brand authority? But I think it's composed of four elements. So the first is your values. Like if you haven't taken the time to just sit, like Google a values list and pick the top five and identify how you show up in your work, because our values can be different as a spouse, as a parent, as a daughter or son, as a as a professional. So look at it from a work lens, but look at what do I want my clients to feel when they work with me? What are my core values? And then I think that I, I have them on a post-it note. I know what they are off the top of my head because when you approach other people, if you know your values and you're paying attention to them and you kind of start to understand what the other person's values are, even if you have nothing in common, 
you can find connection points with your shared values. Right. And I think that's where I've been able to work with a lot of, you know, I was in commercial construction for many years. It can be intimidating. Uh, you know, it's a lot oh, of, yeah. a lot of money on the line, mm -hmm. a lot of egos, a lot of, yes, men, egos and you know, so, but yeah. I was always able to connect with the values and get on the same page. So I think if you haven't taken the time to sit and just think about how you want your values to be when you show up at work, that's step one. Step two is I like to sit and think about like, what are you passionate about? What lights you up? What could you talk about all day? Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily, that is part of your personal brand. And it gives you some things that you can have in the back of your mind to pull from when you're trying to find connection points at that networking event. So mm -hmm. let's say you love riding your bike or you're writing a Christmas movie or you like sailing, whatever that is, that's a way to show people who you are without necessarily mm -hmm. being vulnerable. It's just showing what your passions are. So one, identify your values Two, like embrace and be proud of your passions. And then the next three and four, I call them core competencies. And usually in business, we think about what are our business core competencies? How are we different from our competitors, from our company, our organization? I like to look at it as what are your personal core competencies for yourself? Like, what are your strengths? So I'm a strong presenter. I can talk to anyone. You know, I, I identify what are my personal strengths and then what are my company's strengths? And those four things come together almost like your little like armor or your right. sheet. Because you have like, when you're going to go approach that pedestal, it's like, okay, my name is Sarah Murray. I value creativity, intention, professionalism, fun. I love reading. I love meeting new people. And my business does this. And my core competency is this. Like, if you kind of have that little script in your mind, you have, you know, the value that you bring to the table, whether the other person knows it or not. And the way that you can show them is to use the steps to get on the pedestal. And now you have the ability to really partner in a collaborative approach. And that I think is knowing yourself is what's going to make you more confident approaching the pedestal. That's great stuff. That is great stuff because, um, you know, when you have a plan, you have a purpose and that gets into everything that you do essentially. But I mean, having a plan, I think is, is, you know, purposeful. It's not doing things by mistake when you have a purpose and you're able to plug that plan into it. Things are much more likely to happen than if you're just going in and you just don't know what the heck you're doing. Exactly. And I think just yep. taking some of that time to prep and really, honestly, I think a big part of it is we throw the word authenticity around a lot. Yes. And I, I like that word, but I think what it's getting a little diluted and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring it back around. But when I think about if you can identify those four components I just mentioned, mm -hmm. when you are confident in who you are and you like yourself and you're authentic and how you show up in your work and, and your personal life, of course, I have found that when I'm my authentic self, it gives other people permission to be their authentic selves. And no matter what level they're at, I've had CEOs that, that you know, you would never know, but now all of a sudden I'm eating Subway sandwiches with their family because I was just my authentic self. And sure. that's what people want to work with. And if you're your authentic self, it's going to shine through and it's going to give the other person that permission to just relax. And that's kind of what being cool is to me too. It's like, you're just comfortable. Yeah your own skin. And then that's, what's going to give the other person their permission to be there themselves too. Yeah. So before we wrap up here, there's something that I uh, just thought of when it comes to um, 
marketing and and I haven't forgotten my marketing peeps out there. So don't worry about that. So if I'm in marketing, I'm listening to all this and I'm thinking, this is all fantastic stuff. I love it. How do I help my sales reps with it? I love that question because I think historically marketing and sales can kind of butt heads. Um, Absolutely. And personally, I think one of the biggest ways that they can collaborate with each other is I like to always approach things from a business model and understanding my client's business model and then Mm -hmm. build your messaging and your storytelling in a way where it overcomes objections. And I think, you know, this is maybe a little old school, but I think one of the easiest ways to do that is in our our assets, like our sales assets, which marketing produces, but instead Mm -hmm. of, instead of producing a sales asset, that's all about the features and, you know, widget functionalities, that's important, but it's not as important as how is my product going to help my client's business move forward. And so in, Mm -hmm. in a guest room application, I sold hotel technology, but it, I collaborated with marketing and we built a, you know, three page document and said, this is the benefits to the staff. This is the benefits to the guest. This is the benefits to the owner. And we just put our heads together, put together a whole list and then bucketed it into those categories. And then that is how I would approach ownership. I'd say, Hey, I have this thing that's going to make your staff more efficient because of X. It's not leading with the product features. And I think technology software, especially has an opportunity to speak more to the business human side of it. Like, how's it going to make your life easier? How's it going to improve your life and your business? And that's where we need to focus on. And I think that's where sales and marketing can interview customers. I think one of the biggest things when it comes to um, storytelling and feedback from sales, if you find a story that really supported your business, pass that back to marketing and find ways to weave it in. Just like I did with my example of my client who went to a trade show. I didn't mm-hmm. have that story until he told me he did it. And then I'm able to share that. And now I think it establishes my expertise more efficiently because it's a little customer case study. So making sure that there's yep. that open feedback loop, we're talking to everyone, and then we're always coming from a place of adding value and speaking to business model. That's, I think, going to have the marketing and sales teams lit up and more energized to produce things yeah. that actually help push to the next phase in the business cycle. Yeah. And and actually, and speaking of of pushing to that next level, I'm going to bring in social selling really quick and how to do that. And that is to, you know, develop content that people can share along with the introductions, especially if it's on LinkedIn about what customers are facing and, and how things helped out, but then, you know, do it in a way that's present on social so that people are building credibility before they even get this whole process started. Essentially. I mean, that's what making that's, that's what part of making sales social mention it again, but it's true is, is all about, I mean, that's, that also generates excellent content that can be shared and can be used by sales. So I just felt the need to insert that really quick because it's something that we teach all the time here at Social Sales Link. And that's a great way to approach it. And it's a great way to add value is through your social yeah. selling. So I, I think that it's a, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Thanks. I appreciate that. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you got to be 
adding value not only in your in your personal communications and your personal relationships but in social in general too because if you're not doing in social people aren't going to know that about you that when they talk to you that you are there to add value you're not there as a finger snapping stereotypical salesperson who's just interested in closing the next transaction and that's it without anything else exactly and that's people don't want that anymore everyone's tired of it everyone's tired of it and yet so many people in sales just don't realize that yet i have the linkedin direct messages that prove that trust me so do i and you know what the ones (laughs) that i respond to are the ones that added value like and they're the only ones i reply to well the ones that i reply to are those except sometimes i'll say something like is this really working for you and guess what (laughs) they never reply so you know so AI. in other words, it's not working and they just, yeah, 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 yeah. Or it's AI or automation or something like that. That's oh a good God. point. I never thought about that. That's that's yeah. actually a good point. I posted a, I have one living grandparent left. It was really close to all my grandparents and she's 89. And I, I just hung out with her and I asked her, what are the keys to living a long life? And her answer was quick. It was, you know, have a cup of coffee every day, drink on occasion, sleep in when you can. Like it was pretty pretty basic for my 89 year old grandma. And I posted it and it had a lot of engagement. And then somebody commented on it saying something like, thank you for sharing your grandmother's sales journey. I'm like, okay. And I was like, so wanting to comment and be like, your AI did you dirty, man. But I I didn't. But it was so obvious that that was not a real person who wrote that comment. AI did you dirty. That's like a t-shirt, I think, or something like that. That's great. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm trademarking it and you'll get 10%, sir. I probably okay. sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. So, um, I, I love, love those, you know, one thing you can do right now, kinds of takeaways from, from shows like this. So Sarah Murray, if there's one thing our audience can do right now to improve their sales prospecting through everything that you've just discussed, what would that be? And I feel like a drum roll is necessary. I know. Cause I, I feel like I want to pull from a lot of different things we talked about. Yeah, I, I know. I think that the, I think that active listening is one of the greatest skills that we can work on. And I think we have opportunities all day long to listen actively. And so I would challenge everyone, the next conversation you have, forget anything that's happening after that conversation and do everything you can to just be very present with the person you're speaking to. And listen to what they're saying and respond. And don't, because I think we're all multitasking. We got so much to do. Just do your best to be present because that's going to leave the other person with a feeling of genuine connection. And that's what's going to continue to build. And it's an easy thing to practice. Every time we talk to someone, cut out all the noise and just be present with who you're speaking to. Excellent, excellent way to wrap up. So if our listeners want to get in touch with you, find out more about what you do and how you can help them, uh, how would they do that? Sure. Well, I'm happy to connect on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to find me, Sarah Murray. Uh, My website, Sarah Murray, is quite a common name, but I did get the URL. So it's Sarah Murray. Sarah is S-A-R-A. M-U-R-R-A-Y. And then I have a great podcast called Prospecting on Purpose. It's available everywhere you listen to podcasts and I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. So please reach out. I'm happy to support you. So, so you, the listener, your homework is to stay on this platform because I'm sure that we're both on the exact same platforms everywhere. Your next task is to search Prospecting on Purpose and catch one of Sarah's episodes because I know that they will be worth it. So Sarah Murray, 
multi-hyphenate when it comes to sales, prospecting, and coaching. Thank you for joining us today. Really, really appreciate your insights. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a real honor, Bob. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And thank you for streaming this episode of Making Sales Social. So remember, when you're out and about this week, be sure to make your sales social and climb up that pedestal too. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Don't miss an episode. Visit socialsaleslink.com slash podcast. Leave a review down below. Tell us what you think, what you learned, and what you want to hear from us next. Register for free resources at linkedinlibrary.com. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. Visit our website, socialsaleslink.com, for more information.